goodness, a message in that song. If you brought your Bibles, please turn to 1 John. 1 John. We're going to look at 1 John, the first chapter. First chapter of 1 John, we'll look at verses uh, 5 through chapter 1, and then pick up two verses in chapter 2. About seven or eight verses, I guess, in all. So if you would, uh, I'll tell you what, due to... Uh, let me ask you, if you would, if you're physically able, let's stand together as we read God's uh, inspired, infallible, inerrant word, of his inerrant word, and then uh, claiming Deuteronomy 28, 1 and 2, that if we are faithful to his commands, he, he will surely bless us. Look, if you will, at 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Heavenly Father, thank you for an opportunity we have to come into your place, this house of worship today. Lord, to worship you and to reflect upon your goodness, mercy, and grace toward our lives. And now as we open your word, we pray your Holy Spirit will speak to our hearts. And Father, challenge us, I pray. Allow your Holy Spirit to change hearts that are here today. Those who have never received Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of their life, I pray they'll be saved. For Christians, for whatever reason are not as close to you, Lord, as they once were, that today this will be a time of renewal, a revival, recommitment in their life. Be with me, I pray. Help me, Lord, I pray as I preach. Give me the words to say, the right spirit to say the man. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Let me begin by saying, giving you a little introduction to John. First John, this letter was written by John to the church. During a very critical time of the church, it was in the infancy of the church. The church really had just begun. And so uh, John was writing the letter to a church in, in its infancy. Um, some noticed there in the church, uh, there were certain ones who continued to practice sin. Although they refer to themselves as Christ followers, as Christians, they continued to practice sin. So John is going to remind them here in 1 John that they have been born again, that they've been regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, that they possess a, a new heart, and they are partakers of the nature of God. And so he wants to put an end to the notion that sin may be regarded as normal in the life of a believer as it is in the life of an unbeliever. So he has a mission. 
The mission was to put an end to the notion that sin may be regarded as normal in the life of a believer as it is in the life of an unbeliever. If you'll drop down to chapter 2 there, verse 1, notice what he says. He says, my little children, these things write out unto you that ye sin not. I write that you sin not. Now, it would have not been true for John to have said that a believer is not able to sin. Now, we know that according to Romans chapter 6, a believer is able to sin. But it is true to say that a believer is able not to sin. It's false to say that a believer is not able to sin, but it's true to say that a believer is able not to sin. Now, why is that? Why are we able not to sin? Because we have, as a believer, we have power, we have the means of victory over sin at our disposal. You say, well, Brother Sammy, what, what do we have at our disposal as a believer that gives us power not to be able to sin, to make that choice? Well, we have the Son of God as our Savior. We have the Word of God as our guide. We have the Holy Spirit of God that indwells us and empowers us. And so, praise God, as a believer, we have the ability not to sin. I have that ability based on Jesus Christ as my Savior, the Holy Scripture as my guide, the Holy Spirit dwelling within me. My nature's been changed. So, I have the ability not to sin. Don't say that I won't sin, but I have the ability not to sin. So, John is writing a letter to help those who had sinned after they were saved, and then he was writing a letter to help those that were struggling with their doubts of salvation. And so John writes a letter that deals with the aspects of salvation and what it really means to be a Christian. What it really means to be a Christian. Now, all through the Scripture, you're going to have a description of people who attend church. You have a description of people who attend in the Old Testament. They refer to it as the synagogue. They refer to it as God's people. And you have a description of those that attend church in the New Testament. Now, it's really the basic, the same description of people who attend church today. You have people who say that I'm saved, but they're not saved. You have people in church today who think they're saved but they're not saved. You have people who say that they're saved, but they don't act like they're saved. But then you have a remnant of people who have truly repented of their sins, placed their faith in the Lord Jesus, surrendered to His Lordship, seeking to be faithful to Him and to follow His Word, and have crowned Him Lord and Savior of their life. Are they perfect? No, they're not perfect, but they're seeking to be like Jesus. So therefore, you have all these people groups in the church. 
People who say they're saved, but they're not saved. People who think they're saved, but they're not saved. People who say they're saved, but they don't act like they're saved. Then you have this faithful remnant in the church who know they're saved, and they're, they're being discipled. They're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus. They're putting an effort in having Bible study time, prayer time, seeking what they can get in regards to the knowledge of Christ, the knowledge of God, seeking to follow Him. So the question is, how do we know which is which? Well, we don't. But God does. He knows everyone's heart. He knows those that say they're saved and they're not saved. He knows those that think they're saved and they're not saved. He knows those that say they're saved, but they don't act like they're saved. And he knows those who are a faithful remnant, who've been honest in their confession, their conviction, their confession, their repentance, and their faith in the Lord Jesus. Growing, discipling, being discipled, discipling themselves, trying to follow after the Lord Jesus. Now, you wonder, Brother Samuel, how do these people have such a misunderstanding of their salvation? Well, I believe one reason is that in the Bible Belt, we have this thing known as culture, Christianity. Culture, Christianity. Um, we live in a culture. This specific area uh, and it goes out to your southern states and as you go north. And we have this culture where people claim to be Christians, but they really don't know what the Bible says about a Christian or what a Christian should be. Uh, some people think that a Christian uh, is this way and it's completely different than what the Bible says that a Christian is. Some people think that a Christian is is this and this, and, and it's very different when you measure what they say that a Christian is against the Word of God. I talk to people all the time in regards to their faith in Christ or if they have faith or if they never placed faith in Christ. And they're quick to tell me, I'm a Christian. I say, really, tell me about that. They'll, they'll, they'll say things like, well, I go to church occasionally, or, or I give to the church, or, or I've been baptized, or I, pr you know, I walk down an aisle and I pray to prayer, and, and I, you know, I'm a good person, I'm morally fit. I had one person tell me, and since he told me what he told me, I don't really ask people if they're a Christian or not now. Because I'd ask him if he's a Christian, he says, yes, I'm a Christian. His wife says, no, he's not. And, I, and he said, yes, I am. And she said, well, no, you're not. And he said, well, I'm not a Jew, am I? So his concept of being a Christian was, if he wasn't a Jew, then he had to be a Christian. So I don't ask people if they're a Christian now or not. I just ask them, have you ever, has there ever been a place in your life that you trusted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior of your life? Have you placed your faith in him and only him for your salvation? That's what I ask people. Because their concept about about what a Christian is is different oftentimes from what the Bible says that a Christian is. And so here's the problem. There's, there's, you know, here's people that go to church, they give, they're baptized, they pray a prayer, they're good people, they're morally fit, 
But the problem is there's no evidence in their life that they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ except those things. Therefore, they've kind of created a God in their own image. They've created their own kind of God. Not the God of the Bible, but they've created a God that overlooks their faults. They've created a God that overlooks their sin. They've created a God that overlooks their disobedience. They've created a God that lets them score their own paper. I remember when I used to do that in school. I enjoyed every time the teacher said, you're going to grade your own paper today. And some people think that they get to mark their own marks and grade their own spiritual scorecard or their spiritual report card. And they've created that, that type of God. They act as though there, there is no absolute standard when it comes to being a Christian. It's just out there. I mean, I'm not as bad as he is, and I'm not as bad as she is, and I'm not like those hypocrites down at the church. They feel like and that they really don't have an absolute standard. The point is we have to measure ourselves not against that person or this person or that person or that person, but we measure ourselves against a holy God, and unless you've been born again and you've received the righteousness of Jesus Christ in your life, you're going to fail the test now and through eternity. A Christian. So John 1 verse 5 says this, then this is the message which we've heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. Now the question is, do you want to know if you have the real thing or not? Let me give you one test this morning. Do you want to know if, you have, if you're the real deal? If you have the real thing? Here's a way that you can examine yourself. John said, this is a way you can examine yourself. This is not what I say, but this is what, if you'll notice, that we have heard of him and we declare unto you. This is, this is something Jesus said. And we're sharing the message with you. That God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. So here's the point. Your greatest concern, and my greatest sh concern, should not be what, what people think about us, but our greatest concern should be what this says about us. That's our greatest concern. Should be. So notice, he, he characterizes God as light. God is light. God is light. The essence of God is light. The very nature of God is light. And so throughout Scripture, light refers to the holiness of God. Light refers to holiness. 
the holiness of God, and then light refers to holiness, and it is in direct contrast to darkness. Uh, the point is, the declaration that God is light speaks that God is absolute holy. Absolute holy. Uh, so therefore, to, to think that God would allow sin to go unpunished, to think that God would allow sin to, to go unjudged, is, is really unthinkable, because God is light, holy, absolute holy. In fact, he goes on to say, there is no darkness in him at all, at all. At all is very important. There's not one teeny, 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 teeny spot of darkness in God. My dad would say smidgen. There's no smidgen of darkness in God. Point is, you cannot continue in sin and have fellowship with God at the same time. If you're in sin now, you're not in fellowship with God. You can't have it both ways. However, that was what was happening at the early church, and I think that's what's happening in the church today. People are trying to live in sin and have a part of the light, and it just doesn't happen. Look at verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, and we walk in darkness, we lie, and uh, do not the truth. Notice, fellowship with God, walking in darkness, are mutually exclusive. It's kind of like adding water and gasoline. It just don't mix. And so if you're in sin and try to walk with God, it's not going to work. If you say you have fellowship with God and you're in sin, you're lying. You don't understand the truth. So the point is, believers who claim to be partner are in a partnership with God and continue to walk in darkness. They lie and they don't know the truth. Now, with that said, there was, there was a common lie in the early church that's found in church today. The lie is, I can love God, and I can live like the devil. That's what they were thinking. We'll deal with this a little more, perhaps, week after next. They were thinking, I, I love God, but I can live like the devil. Verse 6 says, notice what verse 6 says. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie, we don't know the truth. Notice, if we say and if we walk, you know what that means? That means that your talk means nothing apart from your walk. If you say you have fellowship with God, and if you walk in darkness, uh, you lie. And so your talk means nothing apart from your walk. Uh, you know, you can say a lot. But the confession with your mouth must match your walk. 
really bears no weight whatsoever. <laughs> so, so we can say things that we believe to be true, but if it don't measure with our walk, it really doesn't bear any weight. I love the Lord. Really? How does that match your walk? I believe in Jesus, really. I love the Lord. And Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. So how does your talk match your walk? And if your walk don't match your talk, then it has no bearing whatsoever what you say. I, I have people at times to, to, to share with me just a breathtaking testimony, and, they, and their life is completely different. And I'm thinking, oh, my God. God bless them. You know, their, their talk and their walk is like as far as the east is from the west. Now, this is, this is where it really gets difficult, folks. Because we're going to have to be honest with ourselves, and we're going to have to be honest with our loved ones, and we're going to have to be able to say to ourselves, and we're going to have to be able to say to our loved ones, Apples grow on apple trees. Real simple. Apples produce apples. And what that means is we're going to have to have some difficult conversations with ourselves about ourselves and about people and with people that we love. And that's going to be hard. Because we see things in, in some people, maybe our spouse, maybe our adult children, maybe our co-workers, maybe our friends, where their life is really not an apple life. Your life may not be an apple life. You have to deal with this personally. And they're not living an apple life. They're living an orange, say an orange life. And we really fool ourselves trying to think that it's really not going on with mom or dad or our older children or our friends and co-workers. And we know they profess to be a Christian, but they're really not living an apple life. And so we're brought to a point to where we have to discuss this. If you really love them. And you say, well, I remember when they, when they went to church. And I, I remember when they made that decision. And I remember when they prayed up front. And I was there during their baptism. Well, although all of that took place. Although they said what they said, prayed what they prayed, and did what they did, but over the months and over the years and over the decades, all of that that's ever been produced in their life are oranges. You don't have an apple tree. So there must be time in our life and in their life whether it's our spouse, our children, our friends, our parents, the people in our life where, 
where it's clear that their life gives every evidence that they live and walk and dwell in darkness and they do not know the God of light. You say, Brother Sammy, how can I approach somebody like that? You do it in love. You do it in love. It, it'll be love that will drive us to tell them, listen, listen, listen. You're walking in darkness, and there's no way you love God if you continue to walk in darkness. Now, why do you tell them that? Because you don't want them to be left behind. You don't want them to miss heaven. You afraid you're going to hurt their feelings? Really? You're expressing to them that you, that you really love them. The point is, there has to be a moment that we come to, to call, as the old saying goes, a spade a spade. And stop all this pretending nonsense when it's dealing with eternity. Because we don't want anyone to be left out. Here's the point. The first test that he gives of knowing that you're saved is a test of conduct. That's the test. And if you know Christ, your life will bear evidence of it. And if you know Christ, your life will bear evidence that you're an apple tree. And if you don't know Christ, your, your, your life will, be, will bear evidence that you have oranges. So this morning, when we close, as we close, we need to have kind of like a self-diagnosis of our spiritual condition. Are you in the light? Are you in the dark? Now here's some symptoms of a life in darkness. Let me help you out. First of all, do I walk in darkness? Ask yourself, do I try to stay away from the light? Jotted these down. Ask, am I drawn to people who are in darkness? Am, am I at home in my sin and I don't feel at home around God? Godly people are godly things. Is my appetite for the things that God is my appetite for those things that God opposes are the things that he loves. What thrills me the most? So those symptoms, friend, are symptoms of a heart that's in darkness. And so when we're honest with ourselves, it's not about the preacher, and it's not about hypocrites at the church, and it's not about the size of the building, and it's why I don't attend church or serve the Lord, and it's not about all they ask is for money, and it's not about those people not being friendly. Those are symptoms of a person who says, I have fellowship with him, but they walk in darkness. So there's some here who say I'm saved, but they're not saved. Some here who think they're saved, but they're not saved. Some who say they're saved, but they don't 
but they don't act saved. Then you have that faithful remnant who have truly asked Christ to come into their life, save them, confess their sins, repented, believed, seeking to follow Jesus in their life. But there's one more group. And that group, some here that are lost, you know you're lost. You never trusted Christ. I've got some good news for you. I don't want to leave you on a down or I don't want to leave you on an upper. And the good news is that's why Jesus came. It's where you could come out of darkness into the light. You can come to the light. You can have a relationship with the light. You believe that? Look at verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. I mean, if you say you're not a sinner, we know we're born in sin. We're descendants of Adam. We're sinners by nature. We're sinners by choice. If you say you have no sin... You deceive yourselves, what a terrible thing to do is to deceive yourself. The truth is not in us. But, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So Jesus died on the cross. He satisfied the wrath and the punishment of God for your sins, for my sins. And so the question is, would you simply confess your sins, see them as God sees them, repent, turn from your sins, turn to the person by the name of Jesus Christ, confessing, believing, uh, uh, repenting, and believing in Jesus, that Jesus came and died on the cross for your sins. He's He's the substitute. You should have been on the cross. I should have been on the cross, but he hung on the cross. All the world's sins were placed upon him. He died on the cross for us. Pray and ask Christ to forgive you, to come into your life and save you. And he says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. But please understand, there is a radical change that comes about in a person's life when they do that. Because you cannot say you're in the light and walk. In darkness. You can't do it. God is light. And in him. There is no darkness. At all. That's how we work prayer together. Heavenly Father. Thank you for an opportunity we've had. Just to look into your word. Thank you Lord. For the simplicity of your word. Thank you for the book of John. First John Lord. That teaches us and guides us in knowing, Lord, the difference between light and darkness and knowing and giving us the assurance of our salvation. And so, Father, I pray for every person here. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to work in the hearts of those, Lord, who've never trusted you as Lord and Savior of their life. I don't know a person's heart, none. I wouldn't stand in judgment of no one. But, Lord, I pray today, you know their hearts. You knew my heart. You convicted me that I need a Savior, needed a Savior. And so today, Lord, I pray as the Holy Spirit moves from person to person, those who have never trusted you would come today to be saved. Lord, stepping out of darkness into light, living a life in light. 
Thank you for what you're going to do in this invitation time. And we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.